in 2019. And Lord, as we seek to find joy in the journey, Lord, we know that it is found in a connection with you. No other place, nothing in this world can give us joy. Only you can give us that real joy, that lasting joy, that everlasting joy. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through this message this morning. Lord, not let it be another message. I pray that you touch the people at home online that are watching. I pray that you would invade their living rooms or wherever they're at this morning. I pray your presence would show up here. Lord, I'm amazed by you and how much you love us. I'm amazed by how you give us life. I'm amazed by your light. And I'm amazed that you were willing to die on a cross for my sins. Lord, I pray we get our amazement back and our joy back and our excitement back. And I pray that you would do something special in each of our hearts this morning. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last night I was walking and praying around my neighborhood because it was so nice outside. Amen. And I was walking and talking. And, and you know, sometimes when I pray, I just kind of talk out loud. And it was at night. And I didn't think anybody was around. And so I'm just kind of walking through the streets and praying. And, and I'm actually carrying a conversation on with the Lord. And, and then I kind of came around and I saw this person standing in their doorway looking at me like, who is that crazy guy dressed in camouflage talking to himself out on the street, you know? And then this car drove by really slow and they kept looking at me like really weird, you know? And I thought, you know, Lord, I don't care. <laughs> Amen. I want to be excited about you again. I want to talk about you. And I want that joy when I talk about you to just invade my heart. And, and, and you know, in our, in our quest this year, our mission this year is to find joy in the journey. And, and we spent the month of January exploring the book of Philippians. We looked at all four chapters of the book of Philippians, which, by the way, speaks 18 times about joy and rejoicing and connecting with God and finding that joy. And it doesn't matter what happens around you. doesn't matter what happened in your climate or how cold it is outside or what's happened politically or what's happening this or that or if there's a shooting at the mall. None of that should impact our connection with God and our joy with Him. And, and we were reminded in some of the scriptures we've looked at over the last few weeks, and here's a few of them that I've kind of highlighted to them. Number one is, Jesus said in John 15, 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And basically, His message, His love, His willingness to die for us, His forgiveness of our sins he goes, you know, he wants his joy to be our joy. And he really wants us to understand how important it is for to connect with his joy this year. And in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's that connection to joy in the Holy Spirit. There's a connection to joy in having peace in this life, no matter what's going on around you once again. And then lastly, Philippians 4, 4, which I noted was the key verse, I think, of the entire book of Philippians, where the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. And he writes that quote, that anointing of the Holy Spirit quote, while he's chained to a guard, a Roman soldier, under house arrest, and tells the Philippians church, rejoice. And I'll say it again. Doesn't matter, I'm chained to this guard rejoice. And I want us to rejoice. I want us to find 
uh, I want us to find joy in a journey. I want us to laugh. We talked a lot about laughing in the month of January and how we need to laugh and how we, we need to really get excited. And then this month, though, we're going to talk about how you find joy in the journey. And we find joy in a journey when we connect with true love. And I want to make this really clear. We're not talking about false love, but true love. Amen? You know, I've reminded you over and over that God's definition of love is wrapped up in him because even 1 John is going to tell us God is love. And we know the Apostle Paul describes love in 1 Corinthians 13 and what that love looks like. I want you to know that the, the word love has gotten a bad rap in our society. Amen? It's been redefinition. It's been redefined. It's been reworked, and it's been tried to be promoted over and over that this is what love is, not what God said love is. And really, if you look at what the world calls love today, a lot of it has to do with lust. A lot of it has to do with not sacrificing and not, uh, uh, you know, it's self-centered. It's all this over here, and that's not what love is, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later on today. But we need to have a true definition of what love is, and so I want you to turn with me to 1 John uh, as we take a look at 1 John, and we will be exploring this book here over the month of February. Uh, I do want to say about the, the Dream King team that's coming in, Matt and Will. Uh, I talked to Matt this week, and Matt said, you know, Mike, I, I just want you to know something. This is our first time coming to Chicago with our message. He said, we've been praying for over a year that God would open a door to come to Chicago so when we got your invitation to come, we knew it was God. And he also went on to say he really believes God is going to do something supernatural on the 17th. And like I said, they're going to share Sunday morning in our 10 a.m. service, uh, and they're going to share 6 o'clock at night in our community-wide service. As of right now, I think I'm up to 12 different churches that are coming out that night. And we got churches that are Baptist, and we got churches that are charismatic, and we got churches that are Presbyterian. We have vineyard churches. We have FCA churches. And I want you to know, I supernaturally believe God is going to do something that night. And so invite people out. Invite them out. Get excited about this event, because I really believe God has something in store for Chicago, and it could be a launch pad. Who knows? Right here on February 17th through these guys sharing their God story and and uh, just a reminder, you know, their book is called The Dream King. Go check it out. Read it. It'll make your, your mouth drop. It is so supernatural in every way. All right. Well, let's look at uh, what we're going to be talking about in First John. We're looking at chapter 1 here. And so uh, just to remind you, First John, I, I always try and pick out what I think is a key verse of the, uh, of the book. And it says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And that's found in First John 4, 8. And so I really believe that's true. And, you know, John has a few themes. Now, we explored the Apostle John when we went through the book of Revelation last year. And I reminded you who John was, one of Jesus' disciples, actually probably one of the closest to Jesus. As a matter of fact, Crosby in his book makes the case that John was the closest to Jesus than any other disciple, that John had decided that he wanted to get as close to Jesus as possible be as intimate with Jesus as possible. And John in his writings likes a few key words. One of, some of his key words you see in the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John are words like life. Words like light. Words like love. And he likes to talk about these. And he also has a fourth favorite word, 
And he has that word called abide or, or abiding and being connected to Jesus no matter what happens. We know that John was the last disciple to die. And he, he actually was persecuted, but they actually tried to boil him in oil and it didn't work. And so they banished him to the Isle of Patmos where God gave him the vision of the book of Revelation. And then God supernaturally released him from the island of Patmos to go share the book of Revelation. He was the pastor or the bishop of the church in Ephesus. And we know that at the cross, Jesus gave him the task of taking care of his mother, which we know from church history he did faithfully as a pastor. It's noted in history how John did take care of Mary all the way until she passed away. And so I want you to know this guy's a fascinating character in the Bible. But he really wants to challenge us, and he really wants to challenge those he's writing to, which are the believers in Christ. And he starts out in 1 John, and he says a few things I think should catch our attention, but before I, I jump much into that, let's, let's read what he has to say here in our text as we look into 1 John. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, notice what he says. I'm not talking, and he's going to talk about Jesus in a moment, the word of life. He says, I want you to know I'm not talking about something I don't know about. I want you to understand that I have seen him. And then he's going to go on and say more. Not only has he seen him, he goes, uh, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. And he's talking about Jesus. Immediately, he opens up verse 1, and he says, I've seen him. I've touched them, I've experienced them, I've lived with them, i traveled with them for many years. I know about this man, Jesus. I know who he is. He is the word of life, and he makes a declaration. Jesus is the word of life, and he goes on to say, the life appeared, that's Jesus' life, we have seen it and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, he says it again, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in verse 4. We write this to make our joy complete. <laughs> I looked at that verse a lot this week. You know, I, I struggled writing my sermon this week. My wife will attest to you. I didn't finish my sermon until Saturday. That never happens. I'm usually done by Thursday. I was actually sweating. That's why I went for a walk. <laughs> Help me, Lord. <laughs> Help me see what you're trying to say. And I came back to verse 4, and the Lord said, you get it? John says, we write this to make our joy complete. What is he writing about? Jesus. What is he talking about? Jesus. What is he going to talk about in our, in our letter? He's going to talk about life. He's going to talk about light. And he's going to talk about love. And he, and, and he basically says, when I talk about Jesus, even though he's, he, he died on the cross and rose again, when I talk about Jesus, I just get filled with joy. I mean, can I ask you a question? When you talk about Jesus to the people at work or at school, do you get filled with joy? Does it, does it stir something inside of you and, and, and you get filled with joy? Or are you afraid to talk about Jesus? Matter of fact, we're going to discover that perfect love casts out fear, it says in 1 John. 
And my question to you is, do you really get filled with joy when you talk about Jesus and tell somebody about Jesus' story and how he died on the cross? And, and that's why I played that video today. I wanted you to understand, are you filled with joy when you see and hear and recall and remember what Jesus has done for you? Because John did. John got filled with joy. It was one of the most joyful things you could do was talk about Jesus. And he says, it just, it makes my joy complete. And, you know, and Jesus said back in, in, in 1511, he said, I give you my joy so that it will be complete. And somehow another, John, who was very close to Jesus, who is the disciple who laid back at the Last Supper into the breast of Jesus, is the one who was there on a Mount of Transfiguration with them, was also there at the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is praying. Yes, John fell asleep, but he was there. Amen. He was filled with joy when he talked about Jesus. It just bubbled up inside of him. It made him smile. I believe it made him laugh. I believe he, he would just recall the things that he saw, the things that he saw Jesus touch and heal people and raise people from the dead and do all these supernatural things. He saw it, and it gave him joy. Because he saw him, he heard him, and he was touched by him. Can I tell you something? Jesus will do the same thing for you today if you really want it. If you want to see him, the promise is you'll see him. If you want to hear him, you just need to get into his word, you'll hear him. And if you want to be touched by him, I believe that happens sometimes in praise and worship, amen? Sometimes it happens walking around your neighborhood dressed in camouflage, talking to him as you're walking down the street when people think you're a crazy lunatic. But I felt his presence. I felt his touch. And at that point, I, I knew where to go with my message. I knew where to go with what I was going to share today. And so, you know, my challenge is I want to talk about the life for the moment. Because John wanted to make sure we understand how important it is to connect to the life. He calls him the word of life. And you can go read more about him being the word in the Gospel of John chapter 1, because he makes it very clear who the word is. The Greek word is logos there. But in John 1.1, 1, 1, he, he, he opens up reminding us he's seen him, he's heard him, he's looked him, he's been touched by him. Then he goes down there and he says, what we proclaim to you, we've seen and heard. He reiterates himself. Why? So that the people who hear the message, what gives them joy, by the way, is if the people hear the message and they too connect and have fellowship with Jesus and become part of the family of God. That brings him joy to see people come into the kingdom, to see people connect in the family of God. And he says, our fellowship is with each other, yes, but it's also with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And he says, and I don't know about you, but I get so excited because I know that I'm part of the fellowship. And you can read it, and I kind of read through the lines a little bit. John is just excited that he's part of the family of God. And that Jesus loved him enough to die on the cross for him, loved him enough to appear to him on the island of Patmos and give him the book of Revelation, loved him enough to let him be the, the bishop of Ephesus and be able to preach the word of God there, take care of his mother. He just loved Jesus so much, it gave him joy. I'm not sure people get excited when they talk about Jesus today. I'm not sure people find that there's joy in talking about Jesus and sharing his story. And John wants us to understand, man, that's what this is all about. You know, we are here to deliver a message. We are here to share the message of Jesus Christ. 
You know, he also writes 1 John to deal with the problem what was arising in the churches of the day. There were some individuals who claimed to be born-again Christians who were now saying that Jesus Christ appeared as spirit form. And they were promoting this among some of the churches in this region. And, 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 and John goes back to refute, you know what? I want you to know, I saw him, I touched him, and I heard him. I lived with him for three plus years. We traveled together. I saw him on a mountain transfiguration. And he makes it really clear that, guess what? He is not some ghost. Hallelujah. It just kind of lurks out there. He is a real entity, and he is real. And, and what he's trying to say to the church is, he's real, and I think he's also saying, you can see him, you can touch him, and you can hear him. He's not a ghost. He's the real deal. And we need to understand that today, because I don't think people believe Jesus is a real deal today. I don't think a lot of people in the church believe it. I really don't. I think they just put their time in on Sunday and, and, and just think it's going to be okay, but they don't really connect with God. They don't really connect with Jesus. They don't let the Holy Spirit flow over top of them and, and do something with inside of them. But he goes on to say this, you know, you know, John was one of the closest disciples. He outlives the others. And, and I like how John refers to himself in, in other books here. He'll say, the one whom Jesus loved. He says, I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. Got to think about that for a moment. Do you understand that he understood what it meant to be loved by Jesus? Can you, can you hear me for a second? If you really love Jesus, you're going to know he loves you back. Can you say amen to that? And that brought joy to his life. You know, Crosby states it this way in his book, The One Jesus Loves. John the Beloved not only loved Jesus, but he followed Jesus. He left all for Jesus. He believed Jesus. He leaned his back against Jesus at the Last Supper. He stood with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He abided in him. He remained faithful to him throughout his life. He stayed tight with Jesus. He yielded. He surrendered. He depended. And yes, he continued to remain connected to Jesus all the way until he died and went to heaven. I want you to know he was boiled in oil. He was persecuted. He was arrested. He was imprisoned on an island where most people starved to death and die. And John didn't starve to death and die. He got the book of Revelation and then was released because the Caesars changed place and they released everybody on the island. And he went out to share the book of Revelation, which is the revelation of who Jesus Christ was, is, and will be. And so I just have to ask you a question. Does talking about Jesus give you joy? Does hearing about Jesus give you joy? Does seeing people come to Jesus give you greater joy? Are you, really, are you really excited when people get saved or when people see the light or when people discover the truth? I like what A.W. Tozer says about this whole idea of what John means by abiding or being connected to the Lord. He says it's really about are we spiritually receptive to what the Lord wants to do in other people's lives today? It's not about us. It's about really us sharing the message of Jesus, what he did in our life, yes, but then we should share that message so that other people can grab a hold of that message, grab a hold of that light, which we're going to talk about in a moment, and it'll lead them out of darkness and lead them into the light so that they can see. I really think we need to start talking about Jesus more, amen? 
Because, man, I, I look at what's on the news, and I even look at what's in most of the sitcoms, and there's not a whole lot of talk of Jesus, is there? <laughs> and, and I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I just think, how, could it get any worse? And then another program comes out, and they think, yeah, it can get worse. And, and it, keeps, it seems to keep getting worse. So maybe we need to talk about Jesus more than anything else and then just believe that when we talk about him, joy is going to come over the people we talk about. Instead of thinking what the world tells us, don't talk about Jesus or don't share your faith with people because that's rude, that's obnoxious, and that's offensive. Can I tell you something? That's a lie from the pit of hell. Don't believe it. Because if you have love, perfect love casts out fear, which means you're not afraid to talk about Jesus. And I just want to challenge you to talk about Jesus, and I want you to understand how important John is and what he's saying here about he's testifying and talking about the something that he really knows. And I pray you really know Jesus. I pray he has touched you. I pray that he, you have seen him. I pray that you have heard him. And I don't just mean on a shallow level. I mean personally. I mean intimately. I mean like what happened to me when I was walking last night. And you know what? I was like, wow, Lord, you're, I like, feel your presence. First of all, thank you that it's 40 degrees outside. <laughs> and not 40 below, amen? <laughs> but I felt him. Let's look at verse 5, chapter 1. This is a message we have heard from him and declare to you. John goes on. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. That's chapter 1. That's John writing this letter. That's John expressing his heart. It's John saying, look, I, I want to tell you about Jesus who is the word of life. And when we've talked a little bit about the life, let's talk about the light. Another one of his favorite words. He goes on to say, God is light. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I'm going to ask if you guys can help me out a second. Shut all the lights off, if you could, please. Thank you. Now, light is pretty mysterious to scientists, by the way. I was actually, a few years back in a doctor's office, I picked up a, it was a scientific magazine, I believe it was. And they were talking about the principles of light. And I started reading this magazine article, and, 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 they, and, and basically, you know, these are scientists that have done this big study, and here's their first quote. Do you really want to know what light is and what light does? Light dispels darkness. I thought, wow, they spent a lot of money to say that. And so we have a light. I don't know about you, but this is a pretty bright light. And I'm going to shine it in all your, your eyes so you never forget this sermon. And I'm told God is light. That this element we see in front of us, which, by the way, scientists still don't really know how it works. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about that. We can hit the lights again. 
I'll quit blinding you with the light. But John says, God is light, and those who come to the light will never walk in darkness. They will see. They will, in other words, they're going to see things they never saw before. And I had a conversation with another pastor friend of mine, and we were working out on Monday, and, and he looked at me, and we were kind of watching. We were kind of at this workout place and had all the TVs up there, and, of course, they were all slamming everybody else and all this stuff. And, and then there's been all this debate about, you know, when a baby's a baby now. Uh, that you can abort a baby before, you know, the due date for their delivery. You can abort it a day before. And, and, and he, he looked at me and he made this comment. He said, people are so in the dark. They are so deceived. I go, I know. I says, our world is engulfed in darkness. Chicago is engulfed in darkness. And the only thing that's going to open their eyes, because they, they don't even understand what they're saying. Can you say amen to that? They really don't have a clue what they're saying. You know, I find it interesting, and I don't want to steal Matt and Will's thunder, but they're going to talk a little bit about how abortion is so similar to slavery that the same excuses that were used to justify slavery are being used to justify abortion. And they're going to share that. I told Matt he could share that. And he says, Mike... It's just sad. It's the world is in darkness and they don't see the light. They don't see how foolish they are. They don't see that they're killing their own children. They're more concerned about dogs and animals than they are their own children. They're more concerned about trees and plants than they are their own children. That's that's blindness. That's darkness. See, what he is saying is I've seen the light. It led me out of darkness, is what John is saying. It leads me still today, he says. He goes on to say, if you're lost in the darkness, you're not following the light of Jesus. And he goes even deeper. He says, if you live in sin and you deny you're a sinner, you're engulfed in darkness and you haven't found the light. Because when you find the light, you find the life. And when you find the life and you find the life in connection together, you don't want to sin anymore. You want to get as far away from sin as possible because your eyes are open to what sin is doing to you. Can I say this? We have all suffered from other people's sin. If you agree with me, raise your hand. Sin rips, tears, and destroys and kills. There's nothing good about sin. Oh, sin looks good for a moment, but you know, even this whole idea that they promote that love is you can live with somebody and take advantage of them, and maybe you'll marry them, or maybe you won't. That's nothing but self-centeredness, amen? That's not love. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not proudful. Love is not boasting. Love cares. Love sacrifices. Love gives. And I want to come back to this idea of light. And the only way these people around us are going to get out of the darkness is if we go back to what John said in his first few verses and we tell them about Jesus, who is the light. If you never tell people around you about Jesus, how do you think they're going to get out of darkness? You say, well, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want them to put me in the group that I'm one of those holy rollers. Maybe God puts you there to tell the person, and who knows? Maybe they're say, wow, I've been looking for the light for so long. I've been in the dark for so long. You just don't know. And maybe God has you where you're at right now so you can be the light to somebody who's in darkness. Because God is light. Let me share a few things I read. 
it, it, the, the article said, scientists are baffled by the mystery of light in this article I read. And it goes, here's what it says light does, by the way. Light reveals the world to us. Body and soul crave light. Light sets our biological clocks. It triggers our brains, the sensations of color. Light feeds us, supplying the energy of plants to grow. It inspires us with special effects like rainbows and sunsets. Light gives us life-changing tools from incandescent bulbs to laser and fiber optics. Scientists, though, don't fully understand what light is or what it can do. They just know that it will illuminate the future. They said that the scientists said that light reveals the world to us. If you're in the darkness, and, and I've been in places where there's no light. I, I shared a while back I was in Cub Scouts. The worst day of my Cub Scouting career was the day that our Cub Scout troop decided we would go into a cave and explore a cave. Just let, I want you to tell you something. I'm claustrophobic. It was dark in there, and I didn't like it. And I was in there for five hours. Five hours. About midway through, I was trying to do the mic thing. Hey, guys, you think we should go out and enjoy the sunshine? No, we want to keep exploring the cave. Yeah, that's what I thought you'd say. I really don't like it in here. But I remember at the end of that five hours, when the troop master finally said, hey, guys, I, I, think, I think it's getting late. We need to get out of here. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to lead the way. I was. I actually took the lead. I was the last person in line before. And now I decided I would lead the way because I wanted out of this place so bad. I mean, you couldn't see nothing. And I had one little flashlight, and then you just couldn't see nothing. And I remember when, you know, after we started journeying out, it took us about a half an hour to get where we were. To, and I finally got down the long end of kind of the cave, and you could actually see the light at the end of the cave. It was pretty small, about that small. And I am not kidding. I took off at a full run in the dark. And I ran all the way to, man, I bursted out of that cave entrance, and I was like, Thank you. Light. It's light outside. It's, and it was a sunshiny day of 72 degrees. And, I, and the rest of them came behind me, and they all saw me out there kind of dancing in the light. Like, Mike's being really weird. I was just so thankful to get out of the dark. Because there were things in the dark I couldn't see in the light. Amen? See, that's, that's a spiritual sense of the word, too. Uh, 2 Samuel twenty two twenty nine. David saying, You are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord turns my darkness to light. Light helps us to see with the eyes of God and see things that before we could never see when we were in darkness. Can I tell you something? You really just need to pray for these people that are in darkness that God will give them the light that they could see. Because they really are in darkness and they don't get it. They don't understand. They actually think they're doing good. How distorted is that? They actually think what they're doing is good. And yet they're doing evil. And so we need to understand that, man, it says in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. And I don't know, but man, when I got saved at 17 years old, man, man, I walked toward the light. I repented of my sin. I could see that I was a sinner. I decided to die to myself and invite Jesus to become the Lord of my life and my Savior. I was encouraged to seek him with my whole heart, mind, and soul on that day. And I was promised by him, if I did these steps, that I would never be trapped in darkness again. 
And man, I was ready. I never wanted to be in darkness. When I got saved, man, uh, man, my life was miserable. I had, you mostly know my messed up life. My life was miserable. Man, when I found Jesus, I found the light and I was delivered from darkness and I could see things that I never even could have seen before. And I just pray that we understand that. And the next thing the scientists say is body and soul crave it. Yes, light. I agree. I remember that. They crave light. We crave light. Our body craves light. You know, there's a study that they talked about that Ackenbach was the one who wrote this study that said that, you know, um, visually impaired children swarm around a light table that learns shapes and colors at Marquette School District in Detroit, Michigan. He said the kids crave light so much says Carol Walker, who works with 30 students in the Detroit public school system. He says, because the light levels in their homes are so dim, they just crave the light. And I don't buy you, but we should crave the light, amen? We should crave to get out of darkness and be in the light. We should crave who is the light. God is light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness. And, and I think it's really true because we look at the scientific aspects of light and we look at the spiritual aspects of life. And, and you know what? We need to understand. We need to crave the light. We need to go after the light. We need to let that light shine in our heart. We need to spend time in the light. We need to bathe in the light. You know, uh, some of you I know, oh, praise God, Pastor Mike, somebody go sunbathe. You know, I didn't say that. I'm not a sunbather, by the way. My wife likes laying in the sun. I lay in the sun and I turn to a, a fried lobster really quickly. I just don't tan very well. Never have. But we got to get in his light, amen? And we got to find ways to get in his light every day. Because I don't know about you, but I like to get in his light because there's a lot of darkness around me in the day. And I need to find his light in the midst of that darkness. And I need, because when I find the light, guess what happens? I'm filled with joy. I'm filled with happiness. I, I see things I never saw before. I'm encouraged. I can rejoice. I can thank the Lord. And yes, there's the phrase by the scientists. They don't fully understand what light is or what it can do. They can't even split it apart, they say. They just don't get it. You know what? A lot of people don't get God, amen? I mean, God is beyond our own limited understandings, even mine. Can you say amen to that? We don't understand God. We think we understand God. We think we haven't figured out. Can I tell you something? No, you don't. If you think you have, you're deceived. I know who God is. He's God the Father who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. And Jesus is my light. Jesus is my Savior. I cannot save myself. I can never be good enough to save myself. I need him to save me. See, that's what, you know, we're going we're gonna to jump, and I'll talk a little bit more about love, but I'm going to skip this. And, you know, what he's saying is there's life, the light, and the love. And Jesus is the love, by the way. And, and it goes to this John 3, 16. And just read this verse with me again. I mean, my, my goodness, it's so famous. You even see it at the football game. It'll probably be at the football game today. Look for John 3.16 in the stands. That is not John Madden's weight, by the way. It's a reference to the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. One of the most famous verses, a 26-word parade of hope, beginning with God, ending with life, and urging us to do the same. Brief enough to write on a napkin or memorize in a moment, yet solid enough to weather 2,000 years of storms and questions. 
If you know nothing of the Bible, start here. If you know everything in the Bible, return here. We all need to remind her the heart of the human problem is the heart of the human. And God's treatment is prescribed in 316. He loves, he gave, we believe, we live. The words are to Scripture what the Mississippi River is to America, an entryway into the heartland. <laughs> we need the life plus the light plus the love, and I guarantee you, you'll find joy in the journey. I'm going to have Ashley come up. She's going to sing a song for us as we take communion today. I really want you to take communion with your eyes open. I don't mean literally. With your heart open, with your ears open, because I am really praying that when you take and partake of communion today, that you see Jesus, you hear Jesus, and Jesus touches you. I don't want you to just take it as a form of ritual. And Ashley's going to sing this song about how love came for us, came for you and me. And then at the end of that song, the communion tables will be open. And I want you to think when we get to the end of that song, there's a, a phrase in 1 John, which I highlighted, chapter 4, verse 7. Think of this verse before you take communion. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his Son, and only Son, into the world that we might live through him. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. And the elements represent, the juice represents his blood, which was shed for us. The wafer represents his body, which was broken for us. This is love. <laughs> he makes it really adamant. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And really the issue is you can see Jesus. You can experience his touch. And you can hear his voice today. And I pray that as the table opens up, that when you come and partake, you experience that in this moment.